Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. I am the Noblesville campus pastor with Genesis Church. Excited to be with you guys again. And I am also excited about my buddy Jerry coming on staff and his wife and his family joining us. I want you to know I sent Jerry a text this morning and uh, I just said, hey, Jerry, I know that you visited Genesis on casual Sunday, but we're usually shirts and ties and uh, I'll see you later today. And so I'm glad to see Jerry wore normal clothes. He didn't believe anything I said. So he's, he is our already figured out the, uh, the routine here, but uh, we're in week three of this series, Humans of the Bible, and we're going to spend the next several weeks looking at the stories and the lives of people found in the pages of scriptures. And uh, some of these people are, are probably going to be well known to you, especially if you grew up in or around church. I bet some of these stories are going to be really familiar to you. But others, maybe like the people we're going to study this morning, uh, are going to be less familiar. But these people all have an important role to play in the bigger story of Scripture. Because what we know to be true about all Scripture is that it's the story of God. It's the story of his character. It's the story of his love. And it's the story of his plan to redeem humanity Uh, sinful humanity through his son, Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 5, Jesus pointed out that the purpose of all scripture is to reveal the Christ. So all of the Old Testament and all of the New is ultimately pointing toward Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to study in the book of Ruth. And if you brought a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn there. You can follow along in your Bible. If you didn't bring one, there are some under the seats around you. If you don't own a Bible, I want you to keep one of those as your own. But the book of Ruth, this is on page uh, around 182 of the House Bible. But as we read today, I want you to keep in mind that this story is ultimately pointing toward Jesus. And I want you to be watching and listening for those clues and those connections, okay? Now, as we look at the book of Ruth, the story revolves around two primary characters, Ruth and Boaz. And I know we've highlighted Boaz in our bumper video and on our graphic, but as I was studying for this message, I realized I had really missed it. We, we, need, to, we need to highlight Ruth also. There's so much that we can learn from her in this story as well. So we're going to look at both Ruth and Boaz today. And what I think you're going to see is that Ruth and Boaz are two single folks striving to live their lives for the glory of God in a culture that had largely turned its back on God. In fact, the book of Ruth begins like this. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. And right there in that opening statement, uh, we know that it's pointing to a time period between the death of Joshua. Remember, Joshua took over right after Moses. Uh, And it goes until Saul becomes the king of Israel. This is a a period between 1200 and 1020 BC, roughly. And this was a dark time for the nation of Israel. It was a time when they chose to turn their back on God, to turn their back on his commands. And you can read all of the details about it, one book back from the book of Ruth in the book of Judges. But the final verse of that book sums it up. It says, in those days, Israel had no king, And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So people weren't following God. They were doing whatever seemed pleasing in the moment. It says whatever was right in their own eyes. And they didn't want God telling them what to do. And so often what you'll find in the book of Judges is they 
worshipped false gods, gods that, that would allow their sinful activities. This was a very dark period for the nation of Israel. And it's the backdrop for the book that we're going to read today, the book of Ruth. Now we read that in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Now let's pause right there. So far, we've learned that this man, Elimelech, uh, is moving his family to Moab. And what we know uh, from previous scriptures, Genesis 19, we read that Moab is the name of a son born of an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. And Moab goes on to be the father of the Moabites. And these are not a godly people. In fact, they worshipped a false god named Chemosh. And the Moabites were known for their sinful activity and, and all kinds of perversion. So Moab is not a place where the people of God were to dwell. But Elimelech, he's hungry. And so he moves his family there anyway. Now this is a dumb move. And I would liken it to, to maybe you or I falling on hard financial times and deciding to move our family to North Korea. Okay, it certainly is cheaper to live there, but there are so many other reasons why that wouldn't be a good idea, right? That's kind of what's going on here. Elimelech doesn't want to die, and so he packs up his family and he moves them to Moab. Verse 3, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And isn't it ironic? Don't you think? It's like rain on your wedding day. Or... Anyway, Naomi was left with her two sons, and they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other one Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and now Naomi was left with her two sons, uh, yes, without her two sons and her husband. That little word there makes a big difference, doesn't it? So Naomi, here she is, she's in a foreign land. Her husband has moved her away from her God, from her people, likely from her relatives, from safety and security. She's now in this foreign land. Her husband has died, her sons have died, and she's left with only her two daughters-in-law. But we read on in verse 6 that Naomi gets word that the famine in Bethlehem has lifted. And having more sense than her husband ever did, she decides it's time to go home. And so Ruth and Orpah, they want to go with her. They love Naomi. And, uh, but Naomi, she, she urges them not to. Not because she doesn't love them, but because she does love them so much. See, Naomi knows that these are, are foreign women. And they will be viewed as the lowest of society in Bethlehem. And they will be extremely vulnerable. No husband to protect them. No father to provide for them. They will be absolutely vulnerable. And so she says, you know what? You've got to stay here. There's nothing for you in Bethlehem. Stay with your family. Stay with your friends. You can remarry someone here. And Orpah, she hesitates at first, but ultimately she kisses her mother-in-law goodbye. But not Ruth. Ruth refuses to leave Naomi's side. And in, in what is possibly the most well-known passage in this book, Ruth commits her life to Naomi. In verse 16, she says, Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And what Ruth is showing for Naomi in this, this, uh, this passage is what the Bible refers to as hesed. 
hesed. It's often translated as loving kindness or covenant love. And Paul Miller, who's the author of the book A Praying Life, he describes hesed as a setting of the will to love regardless of how I feel or how you respond to me. Hesed says it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you think, what you say, what you do. I am committing to love you no matter what. It's covenant love. It's self-sacrificing love. And hesed is a major theme not only in the book of Ruth but throughout the Old Testament. It's the kind of love that God had for the people of Israel. And throughout, even in their rebellion, even in all of the things you can read about in the book of Judges, God's hesed remains for his people as he continually rescues them and provides for them and loves them. Now, I want you to think about what Ruth's hesed will cost her. Now, Bethlehem was only about 50 miles away from Moab, so it was likely a two- or three-day journey by foot. Uh, so it's relatively close in proximity, but it's a completely different culture. And maybe it would be like you or I uprooting our family and moving to Mexico. Okay, we could be there in a, a short amount of time, but, but different language, different culture, different customs. You look different than everyone else, and everything is in kilometers, so you never know how far away you really are. But you're totally the odd man out, and you know it. Well, this is what Ruth is facing in going with Naomi. She's leaving her people. She's leaving her home. She's leaving her gods behind. And she's saying to Naomi, I'd rather be vulnerable with you than secure without you. And in that, she showed Naomi hesed, loving kindness, covenant love. And so as the story goes, they continue on to Bethlehem together. And the scriptures tell us that they arrived just as the barley harvest was beginning. And chapter 2 begins like this. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Okay, that's just a little bit of backstory for you and I. And it says that Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, now let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. So let's pause right there. This practice of picking up the leftover grain, uh, it's found throughout the Old Testament and it's a, it's a practice known as gleaning. She's going to go out and she's going to glean. Ruth and Naomi have no income, no means of providing for themselves. And gleaning didn't provide a lot of food, typically. It's kind of like giving a whale a tic-tac, but, uh, but it was better than nothing. And so Ruth goes out to glean. Verse 3, it says, So she went out, and she entered a field, and she began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Coincidence? I think not. Verse 4. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and he greeted the harvesters. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, he says, who, who does that young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. And so we see that, that Moab, uh, Boaz notices this new girl right away. He spots her in the field. And Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. In verse 8, don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, you go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Now understand that Bethlehem was not a large city. And Boaz has certainly heard that his relative Naomi has returned from, Moabite, or from Moab with his Moabite daughter-in-law. And now here she is gleaning in his field. And Boaz is happy about this. 
He immediately begins to show her kindness. He says, you stick with me. You stay in my fields. When you're thirsty, you drink from my jars. And he tells Ruth that he has already instructed his young men about her. Did you catch that? He's told them not to lay a hand on her. And we see in all of this, if you're taking notes, this is the first thing I want you to write down, that Boaz was a fierce protector. Boaz was a fierce protector. Now, why does Boaz have to tell these young men what to do? Well, the answer is because young men don't know what to do. I was a young man once. I can attest to this. This is true. You know, you may have all the common sense in the world, but a cute girl comes into the room and all of that common sense goes out the window. And young men need older, wiser, stronger men guiding them and showing them what to do, how to act, how not to act. And so Boaz tells his men, you see that Moabite girl over there? She's cute. If you touch her, I'll break your legs. And they know he means it. He's a man of standing. He's a man of power. He can do it. Remember, Ruth is completely vulnerable here. She's a foreigner. She's a woman with no husband, no father to watch out for her. This is the day when the judges rule. Darkness uh, is common. Perversion is common. And Boaz stands in that gap and he protects Ruth. Men, I want to speak to you for just a minute this morning. Some of you are in dating relationships right now. And there is a, a special young woman in your life. And I want to ask you very directly this morning, when you think about that relationship, are you a protector of her purity or are you a threat to it? Because it can very easily go from one to the other, can't it? We get in a situation and the emotions rise and all of a sudden we're doing what feels right instead of what is right. Are you a protector of her purity or are you a threat to it? And this morning, I want to call you to be a man like Boaz, to be men who pursue purity and protect it, to be men who will protect the vulnerable, and men who will come alongside younger men and stand in that gap to show them what they ought to do. I read uh, an article a couple of weeks ago that highlighted the fact that 20 million children are now growing up in homes without a father figure present. 20 million children, and certainly there are millions more where there's a father in the home, but he's checked out. He's really not contributing anything there. And the article went on to say that if fatherlessness was a disease in America, it would be declared a national emergency. That's what our, our nation is facing. And these young men, these young girls, they need older, wiser men and women to come alongside of them, to show them what they ought to do, to love them, to show them the love of Christ. Listen, no matter what stage of life you are at, you have something to offer to the generation behind you but you've got to be intentional about that. It's what Kevin and Steve challenged us to do a couple of weeks ago. It's what our church is all about in making disciples. We've got to answer this call. Men, we've got to be men like Boaz. He stood in the gap for Ruth. He protected her purity. He protected her physically, but he also protected his own young men. He protected them from making a stupid decision. Now in verse 14, we read this. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. And she ate all she wanted and had some left over. Now, in this society, again, Ruth was considered lower than a servant. She was the absolute bottom of the totem pole. 
But Boaz, is, as we have already seen, is a man of standing. He's a man of power and wealth and stature. And in this scenario, Ruth would have been expected to serve Boaz. But Boaz doesn't use his power to take advantage of Ruth. She is an outsider for sure, but Boaz treats her like an insider, and he shows her honor. And notice that it's Boaz himself who serves Ruth the grain. He passes it to her. He's the most important person at the table, and he's serving the least important person there. And we see in all of this that Boaz was a humble servant. I want you to write that down. Boaz was a humble servant. And I want you to think about this. Because I think there are are probably times for all of us where we are the most important person at the table. We're the most important person in the room. We're the most important person there. And in that situation, how do you use that power? How do you leverage that influence when you are the most important person in the room? Do you use it for your own glory to gain even more power for yourself? Or do you turn that attention outward and use it for the good of others? And this can play out in a lot of different ways. Maybe for you, it plays out at work when all the eyes are on you and the project has been a success and you're getting all the praise, but you know that you have a coworker who worked behind the scenes just as hard as you did. And do you turn the attention to them? And do you share that glory? Or maybe it plays out in your home, husbands and wives, when, when you elevate your spouse in front of your children and, uh, and, and you, you lift them up, you praise them in front of your kids, or, or maybe even here at church on Sunday, and maybe you've been coming for a while, and you're comfortable here, and you know people, and people know you, and you're high-fiving through the lobby, and you know where to go, and how to get there, and when it starts, but there's somebody brand new, and they have no idea what's going on. Do you just huddle up, or do you reach out, and do you bring others in? You know, in humbling himself to serve Ruth, Boaz looks an awful lot like Jesus. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus told his disciples that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And just as Jesus would humble himself to serve you and I, so Boaz humbled himself to serve Ruth. Now I want, I want you to watch what he does next. In verse 15, it says, When Ruth rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull some out from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So Boaz, he's setting Ruth up for the most productive day possible. He, he's showing her tremendous grace, and he's doing this at his own expense. Remember, this harvest, this is, this is his paycheck. He's waited all year for this. This is the payoff of all of his works, his livelihood. But we see here that Boaz, he was a generous provider. Write that down if you're taking notes. He was a generous provider. He's not only looking out for himself, but he's generously providing for Ruth and for Naomi. And it's so easy to get upside down on this, isn't it? It's really uh, very easy to just focus right in on our own wants and on our own needs and to just completely miss what's going on around us, the needs of others. But Paul addresses this in Philippians chapter 2, when he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so Boaz tells his men, he he says, We're going to let her glean, but we're going to do even more than that. I want you to let her come up to to what you've already gathered, and she can have some of that. And then as you're going along, like I'm afraid she's not going to take enough out of that, I want you to pull some out and throw it on the ground. And then she'll pick that up, and we're going to give her all the grain she can carry. 
And he, he generously provides for Ruth and Naomi at his own expense. He's a generous provider. And so what's Ruth's response to all of this? Well, verse 17 says, She gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was probably about an ephah of, bar, of barley. And so God has graciously provided this opportunity for Ruth. And she could have responded by, by just taking the handout, right? I mean, Boaz has given her food to eat at lunchtime. She's already picked up plenty of grain. But she doesn't just walk away and accept that handout. She works in the field all day. We read earlier in the scripture that she started early in the morning. She works until the evening. And she's bending over and she's crouching down. She's collecting those stalks of grain and bundling them up. I would imagine her hands are raw and sore. And her back is screaming. And it's just aching and tired. But she doesn't quit. And when the work in the field is done, she begins beating out the grain. She's grabbing those stalks and she's slamming them against a rock and she's busting the seed loose from the stalk. And she puts in a long, hard day of work. She doesn't just take that hand out, but she takes full advantage of the opportunity that God had provided. And at the end of the day, it says that she ended up with about an ephah of barley. That's about 40 or 50 pounds of barley. And for those of you who have a water softener, you think about those bags of salt that you get at the store. That's a 40-pound bag. That's a lot of barley. That's a heavy bag full of barley. It was the equivalent of about two weeks' wages for Ruth. And in today's money, Ruth has just made about 1000 bucks in one day. And so she comes home with this sack of grain, and she has all of this food left over from lunch, and Naomi's jaw hits the floor. Okay, remember, all she knows is that Ruth has gone out to glean. And again, gleaning doesn't typically provide a lot, but it's better than nothing. But, but, but Naomi knows right away, this was not a normal day of gleaning. There's got to be some backstory here. And in verse 19, Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. And the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, that man is one of our close relatives. He's one of our guardian redeemers. And I want you to hang on to that phrase for just a moment. We're going to come back to that and talk about what that is. But in verse 21, then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they have finished harvesting all my grain. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. Again, it's just pointing out Ruth's vulnerability. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And I think it's so critical for us to understand that Ruth stayed in the place that God could bless until God blessed and it would have been so easy for her to see that life in Bethlehem was going to be hard. She, she arrives into town and she would have felt it immediately. She would have felt what you and I would feel if we made that move to a different country, a different nation. That feeling of, of being out of place. Our family's far away. Our friends are far away. Our gods aren't their gods. It, it's just all of this newness, all of this awkwardness, no uh, real security. And it would have been so tempting for her just to say, you know what? I'm going to go back to Moab. I, I love you, Naomi, but this is too much. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to my people. I'm going back to my gods. But she didn't do that. She stayed with Naomi. She stayed in the place that God could bless. And now she has been blessed for it. And I wonder if some of you here this morning, you hear this story. Uh, or maybe you hear about God's provision in someone else's life. You hear about the way that he's blessing them. And maybe you think, why don't I experience God's blessing in my life? 
Why don't I see something like that happen in my life? I'm being as faithful as I can be. I've been doing this church thing for a while. I've been praying about this. But the reality is your marriage isn't any better. Your finances aren't any better. School's not going well. Your work situation hasn't changed. And and in reality, things don't look much different than before you started following God. And the temptation will always be there to say, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to go back to my old life. I'm going to go back to the things that I used to do. At least then I got to have fun. I got to do whatever I wanted to do, whatever seemed right in my own eyes. I'm just, I'm going to walk away. But I want you to listen to me. I don't know why. God blesses when he blesses and why he doesn't other times. I I don't understand how the timing of all of that works, but here's what I know for sure. God does not bless sin. He does not bless sin. And so if you are not experiencing the blessing of God in your life, you stay in the place that God can bless until God blesses. Do not go back to your old life. Don't go back to your old habits. You stay faithful. Stay in the place that God can bless until God blesses. Listen, God is a father. I'm a dad. When Josiah hits one of his sisters, I don't give him a cookie, okay? That's not a good parenting strategy. I would raise psychopaths if I did that. When my children sin, I correct them and I discipline them. But when they live in obedience, then I'm able to bless them because they are in the place of blessing. So you remain faithful because God loves to bless his kids, but he does not bless sin. So you stay in that place that God can bless until God blesses. And that's what Ruth did. I mean, she remained faithful. She remained faithful and God blessed her with great opportunity. And it was probably six to seven weeks of the hardest work Ruth had ever done. That's how long that harvest probably took, six to seven weeks. But if she continued to, to, to glean about as much as she gleaned on that first day, at the end of just a month and a half to two months time, she would have enough barley to last about a year and a half. And so Boaz, uh, God really has set Ruth and Naomi up through Boaz for a really good year and a half. Now, I want to go back to that statement that Naomi made in verse 20, that Boaz is a guardian redeemer. What does that mean? What is that? What's it mean for Ruth? Well, a guardian redeemer was a male relative who had the privilege and responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble or who was in need. And so the the Hebrew term is goel, and it designates one who delivers or rescues. So if a male relative died, like Elimelech has, the guardian redeemer would step in and he would care for the widow. And this could be a pretty sweet deal for the guardian redeemer too, because he would accumulate all of the dead man's possessions. Now we know that Boaz is one of Naomi's redeemers, and uh, in Ruth chapter 3, we're not going to read through it, you can later, but for the sake of time, we find that Ruth has fallen in love with Boaz. He's shown her all of this kindness, and she has, she's just fallen for him. Now, Boaz is older. He's probably not the best-looking guy in town, but he has a job, and he loves the Lord. So single ladies, take a note. If he has a job and he loves the Lord, he might be the one. And fellas, uh, if she carries a Bible and she works with barley, put a ring on her finger. I don't know. But you can read the details of the love story for yourself. But, but Ruth goes to Boaz. She goes in secret, and she tells him of her affection for him. For affection for him and her desire to be redeemed by him. And, uh, and Boaz is just delighted. In verse 11, he says, My daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know you are a woman of noble character. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Ruth was a woman of noble character. Now, 
I want you to, if I know this is going just a little bit long. I'm about to wrap up, I promise. But don't miss this, okay? If you've walked away, come back to me for a minute. This is awesome. This is the best part. It's important to note that in the Hebrew organization of the scriptures, it's different than our organization of scriptures. And the book of Ruth in the Hebrew Bible would come right after the book of Proverbs. And some of you who know your Bible know that the book of Proverbs ends in chapter 31 talking about the woman of noble character. And the Hebrew word that is translated woman of noble character or wife of noble character or even just excellent woman, that phrase is only used three times in all of scripture. It's used twice in the book of Proverbs and it's used once when Boaz uses it to describe Ruth in chapter 3 of the book of Ruth. And so in the Hebrew Bible, you would read the book of Proverbs ending with the woman of noble character, and then immediately you would go into the book of Ruth and read about a woman who was the woman of noble character. And so why, why is it that Ruth is called that? Well, we see that, that Ruth was a woman who showed hesed. Write that down. She showed covenant, selfless love, loving kindness toward Naomi. And in Proverbs 31, the woman of noble character is described as one who opens her arms to the poor. She extends her hands to the needy and she provides for her family. So that's certainly true of Ruth, isn't it? And Boaz saw that. Boaz also, or uh, Ruth also worked diligently in the opportunities that the Lord had provided for her. And in Proverbs 31, the woman of noble character does not eat the bread of idleness. She watches over the affairs of her household, and she is deserving of honor for all that she has done. And that's a good description of Ruth, isn't it? And then finally, Ruth remained faithful. She didn't return to Moab, but she stayed in the place that God could bless. And in Proverbs 31, the woman of noble character is clothed with strength and dignity. And she does what is noble and she fears the Lord. And isn't that the story of Ruth? And Boaz, he recognizes all of this and he says, everybody knows you, Ruth. Everybody's seen the way that you've loved Naomi. Everyone has seen what a hard worker you are. Everyone has seen that that you're a woman who is faithful. You are a woman of noble character. And I'll do whatever you've asked. I want to redeem you. But here's the thing. There was one hurdle that Boaz had to overcome. And in verse 12, he says, Although it's true, I, I am a guardian redeemer of your family. There's another one who's more closely related than I am. So Boaz isn't first in line, but he puts a plan into motion and he had to put thought into this and he had to choose his words carefully because he knew that the primary redeemer would want Elimelech's land. I mean, who wouldn't want some free property, right? To add to your estate. But Boaz is careful about how he presents this opportunity to the man because he wants Ruth to be cared for. And so he gathers all of the town elders and this primary redeemer, he comes walking by and Boaz says, hey, do you want Elimelech's land? You know, he's died and you're a redeemer. So if you want it, you're first in line, it's yours. And the man says, yeah, I'll I'll take his land. And Boaz says, that's great. And when you take the land, you also have to take uh, Ruth, the Moabite girl. And uh, at that, the man was kind of taken off guard. And here he is in front of all of these prominent men. And he wants that land, right? But no offense, Ruth, you're still a Moabite and we don't really associate and you might mess up my family tree. And, And so he says, well, if I have to take Ruth with the land, you know, I'm... I'm not going to endanger my own estate, so you redeem it yourself. And Boaz is like, are you sure? I mean, if if you want me to, (laughs) I'll take it, you know? And uh, and so he does it, and uh, and he redeems Ruth. And it's the last thing I want you to note about Boaz, that Boaz was a loving redeemer. 
Boaz went out of his way to redeem Ruth. He gave careful thought and attention to how this would go down. And he was shrewd about it, wasn't he? He was shrewd about it. He had to be. He knew this other guy would want that land, but would he love Ruth? Would he care for Ruth? Probably not. Ruth probably would have ended up as a slave in this other guy's household. We don't know that for sure, but, it, but all of the signs point to that. And Boaz does everything in his power to make sure that Ruth would be loved and cared for by him for the rest of her days. And so men, I want to ask you this morning, I'm going to start with you. Are you a man like Boaz? Are you a fierce protector? Are you a protector of purity? Are you watching out for those who cannot watch out for themselves, those who are vulnerable? And are you being intentional about leading younger men who don't know what to do? Are you a humble servant as Boaz was, not looking to be served, but to serve? And are you a generous provider? Are you looking for opportunities to share the things that God has graciously and generously shared with you? Men, just as Boaz lived a life that pointed toward Jesus, so must we live lives that look like Jesus. And ladies, for you this morning, I want to ask if you find yourself in the story of Ruth. Are you showing loving kindness to those who God has put in your life? Maybe even to some people who are, are pretty hard to love, but it's not really about how you feel. It's just a, a commitment to that person. I'm going to love you no matter what. And there's nothing you can do and there's nothing that you can say that will change my love for you. Are you working diligently in the opportunities that God has given you? Not eating the bread of idleness. I know that Facebook is fun and guys do it too but we are called to be diligent workers, that everything we do is done for the glory of the Lord. And then finally, are you remaining faithful, staying in the place that God can bless, pursuing righteousness, pursuing purity? Ruth is a great example of these things for you as you strive to be a woman of noble character. And I want to finish with this. I mentioned earlier that the entire Bible is the story of God, and all of the Old Testament is ultimately pointing toward Jesus. Well, before the book of Ruth concludes, we read that the newlyweds, they conceive, they have a child, and in chapter 4, verse 17, we read that they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And one last irony in the book of Ruth, that primary redeemer who passed on the opportunity to redeem Ruth because he didn't want to mess up his family tree, well, we see that Ruth and Boaz, they ultimately become the great-grandparents of King David, one of the, the uh, most well-known and greatest figures in all of Scripture. And if you know your Bible, you know that ultimately Jesus came from the line of David. And when you look at the genealogy of Jesus that's listed in Matthew 1.5, Ruth and Boaz, they're listed there. And when you read in Luke 2 that Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem for a census because they were from the house and line of David, this is where it begins. A Moabite girl and a guardian redeemer. And through them, the ultimate redeemer would come. Charles Spurgeon goes so far as to call Jesus our glorious Boaz. And he notes, just as Boaz came to his land, so Jesus came to his earth. As Boaz saw Ruth in her distress, so Jesus has seen us 
as Boaz initiated relationship with Ruth, so Jesus has initiated a relationship with us. As Boaz showed kindness to Ruth, so Jesus has shown kindness to us. As Boaz redeemed Ruth, so has Jesus redeemed us. As Boaz owed Ruth nothing, so Jesus owed us nothing, and yet he gave everything to redeem us. And just as Ruth received those good gifts from Boaz, we must receive the gift from Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm here to tell you today, it's a free gift. He has made it available. Jesus is a fierce protector. He is a generous provider. He is a humble servant and he is a loving redeemer and he desperately wants to pour out his redemption on you. And for some of you here today, you have resisted for far too long. It is time to receive that good gift. It's time to accept the free gift of Christ, the forgiveness of your sins, and to move into his grace and mercy. Don't run back to Moab. If you're finding yourself moving toward Christ today, man, be bold. Follow it out. Find that his words are true, that his love is real. He desperately wants to redeem you today. If you want to talk more about what it means to accept that free gift, I'll be hanging out after service. I would love to talk to you about it. But let me pray for us this morning. Father, I'm so thankful for your loving kindness toward us, shown ultimately through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, through his uh, exceptional, perfect life, through his sacrificial death, and through his hope-giving resurrection, that we can move back into a relationship with you, not because of anything inside of us, not because of anything good that we might do, Father, but because you loved us. Your word tells us that, that we love you, but you first loved us. You made that first move when we were living as enemies of the cross you sent your one and only son to die for our sins. Thank you, Father, for loving a wretch like me. Thank you for, for offering me hope and freedom. Lord, I pray for the men of our church this morning that we would be men like Boaz, fierce protectors, humble servants, generous providers. I pray for our women, Lord, that they would be like Ruth, that they would be women of noble character, showing loving kindness, working diligently in the opportunities that you have given them, remaining faithful, staying in that place of blessing. Lord, guide us in these things by your spirit. Thank you that we don't have to do them on our own strength because we cannot. But I thank you for your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's name that I pray, amen.